Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is child psychologist and professor, University of Minnesota's College of Education and Human Development, Dr. Abigail Gerwitz. Her new book is When the World Feels Like a Scary Place, Essential Conversations for Anxious Parents and Worried Kids. Supporting our kids through the COVID-19 pandemic has been a huge challenge. From changes to their daily schedules, to remote learning, to missing friends, life as they knew it has been turned upside down. Dr. Abigail Gerwitz provides a roadmap for parents wondering how to best help their children through this and other stressful times. She offers tools to address tough conversations with kids from age 3 to 18 and coaches parents through the hard conversations about violence and bullying, climate and environmental stressors, relentless tech and media exposure, economic inequality, and political polarization, and equips them with newfound confidence to help children stay resilient even when the world feels like a scary place. Dr. Gerwitz has consulted for and presented to national and international organizations, including the U.S. Congress and UNICEF on parenting. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Abigail. Well, thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, in your book, obviously, you make a, I guess what the main point is that how do we help our par- how do we, how can parents help their children feel secure in a world that feels scary and of course this is very appropriate your book obviously right now really fits into the whole social climate um how can we do that in the context of of covid-19 right well as you pointed out the climate today is so different. None of us could have imagined this time last year what we would be going through now. And actually, when I wrote the book, I obviously never anticipated that this uh, 2020 would look like this. The issue with scary world events and how they affect kids is that children see the world through the eyes of their family and their parents, and the younger they are, the more that happens. And so the first thing that we need to do to effectively help our kids deal for example, with COVID-19, is to get a handle on what we ourselves are feeling. And that can be something as simple as taking a deep breath to something, if you only have a moment, to something more in-depth, like just taking time to think about how this virus is affecting you. For example, uh, did you suffer from a serious illness or did you see the loss of a loved one from an illness when you were a child? Do you yourself have an underlying health condition? Do you live with someone who's very vulnerable? Are you a frontline healthcare worker? And all these situations can, uh, can, can change the way we, we respond. And thinking about them, thinking them through and getting a handle on our emotions enables us to respond respond intentionally rather than react impulsively. So as parents, we have to, in my case as a grandparent, you have to really, I guess, constantly be aware of what what makes you anxious. And those feelings can change from day to day, you know, depending on what's happening in the world, besides what's happened in your own life or your pre COVID-19 life. So it's kind of a a constant state of awareness, I would assume. And then in order to understand or to be 
careful, you know, when you're, because every day I know my grandchildren, they're living with me now and their parents. And uh, there are always questions because the four-year-old watches the news. Um, he heard about, you know, bad police, you know, the policeman and, and um, George Floyd and, and he was killed. And he started asking me about policemen. He thought they were good policemen. So I had to go into a whole explanation of good policemen, bad policemen. Those are the kinds of questions I know that, that I'm getting. Right, right. And, and, you know, when we feel very sensitive, upset, angry, anxious about things, it's much harder for us to be able to truly listen to our children. And then what happens is we end up saying things that we might later regret. Um, if we are able to just take a moment, and, and it does take practice, Catherine, to be aware, but it's not a, a long process. It can be as simple as, you know, you, you, know, you gave the example of your, your grandson asking about, well, I thought police, I thought police were good. Um, and, you, and you're sort of taken aback because maybe you hadn't thought that you'd need to answer that question so soon. And you might say something as simple as, you know what, I'm just going to get myself a glass of water. Would you like one too? That gives you three more seconds to just think about, wow, how am I feeling right now? And what is it? How do I want to respond? And one of the best ways to start responding is to respond to a child's feelings rather than their words, uh, because words are always driven by what we feel. And uh, what we want our, our kids and grandkids to be able to do is to learn that feelings are important signals um, and not things to be dismissed or ignored, even though, um, even though we, we can do a pretty good job at that sometimes, but, but that they, you know, we, we want our, our kids and grandkids to do the same as I'm suggesting parents should do, which is to learn that emotions don't need to drive us. They are good signals. We can pay attention to them and then we get to decide what to do with them. And you also, I think a part of that is you want to make sure that they will come back to you when they feel uncomfortable or anxious about something else. You don't, and you know, that's really, I think, key too, isn't it? I mean, that's part of it. You don't want to turn them off or dismiss their feelings or dismiss their anxiety um, because it makes you so anxious, the parent or the grandparent or who. um, So I think that's something to be aware of as well. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Sometimes kids see in our expressions such anxiety and distress that they, we don't even need to say anything and they immediately feel like they, they can't talk because they'll upset us too much. Or um, if we drive the conversation, they'll experience us as being intrusive maybe. Um, or if we respond in such a way that's, you know, a, a very intense way, that can also sort of drive them away in general. If we can let them lead and we follow, if we can listen more than we talk, if we can respond to what we see on their faces, like I see that your brow is furrowed and your eyes are looking down. I know that when I have that expression on my face, that's because I'm feeling worried about something or sad about something. Is that what you're feeling right now? And, and you know, when I... When I have that expression, I also sometimes feel it in my body, like my stomach, I get a stomach ache, or my hands get sweaty. And so what you're teaching them is to connect what they're, you know, 
their facial expressions and their body and those are feelings and those feelings drive what we think and then ultimately what we say and so the start of your conversation is about helping them to identify and label their feelings and then validating them wow you are worried and now you've just told me that you're worried because you thought police were good and I just saw on you know but I just saw on the news something about police not being good. And so I'm worried because maybe I should be scared of a, of a policeman. And your response, um, you, you don't need, you know, we shouldn't feel like we need to jump straight into the issue because really what our child is telling us or our grandchild is, I'm scared. And by acknowledging that and saying, you know, I think I would be worried and scared too if, if I heard something different to what I believed or if um, you know if if I if I thought this thing that and then it turned out I was wrong and now I don't really know what to do Uh, or when I was a child I remember some something whatever similar you know so that you can validate your child because a lot of what drives kids to want to talk about these things is their own worries and we need to be able to hear those. Yeah, I think that's so well said. And 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 just to, to add another example of what you're saying is, I mean, validating those feelings is so key. He came in with another anxious about something, and I started to give him advice. And he said, "No, Grammy, I just want to tell you. Don't tell me what to do." And and it's it's just sort of is an example of what you're talking about. Just wanted to get those feelings out, have them validated, and not have me go into a dissertation about how to handle things. Uh, that's not what he needed. He what was a- able to. Say it, not I. <laughs> yeah. What a wonderful child <laughs> and what a wonderful grandma. You know, I, I just love that. No, I just, you know, when they can say things like that, you know, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just want to give our kids the answers, right? We want to tell them what to do or sometimes what not to do. And we know, that, you know, when we take a minute to think about it, we know that what's driving us is our own worries or our own sort of you know, impulsive reaction. And, um, and sometimes, you know, we, we need to, they remind us of it. And, and sometimes we, we're able to, to say to ourselves, oh, yeah, let me think about what he's really saying here um, and let me connect with the feelings and then the conversation goes a different way. And then, he, you know, and that's really empowering to kids as well because it helps them find their own solutions. To, to the issues that are troubling them with your help and guidance. Another thing you talk about, I think, in the book is also, I mean, this is something, are there, and there are examples of how not to discuss a given, to- oh, well, we've been going how not to discuss a given topic and why we've, we're actually we're covering that right now. But um, I, I think that also if you have not just one child, but two or three children, you one has to really... Uh, be, um, I guess, cognizant of the individual strengths of each child, too, not just in terms of age, but just in terms of their own experience or just in terms of, you know, their uh, emotionally where they're at. You know, if you have, you might have a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and an eight-year-old that are, um, so there are all those variables, too. Uh, can, Can you maybe elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
First of all, yeah, I have both red lights and green light conversations in the book. I have tons of conversations, must be more than 25 conversations in the book about all the issues that you talked about at the beginning. And um, I had fun with the red light, green light because I'm a parent. I'm a mom of four kids. Um, my kids are also a little bit older now. Two of them are in their teens and two of them are in their 20s. And um, we all say things and then we, sometimes it takes us a while to realize, oh, I wish I had a redo. And we usually do get a do-over, thanks, thankfully. Um, our children are pretty forgiving and hopefully we're forgiving of ourselves. Um, but yes, there's dynamics between kids and there's age issues so you might have I mean I had nine years between my four kids so my 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 youngest was two my oldest was 11 and there's a big difference between what a two-year-old and an 11-year-old can understand in the way they think and yet you're all sitting around the dinner table together so so that's something to consider and in the book I, I, I provide situations where the kids sort of uh, piggyback on each other you know there's one one conversation about um misinformation where the kids, uh, one of the, the oldest child has brought some misinformation um, that they, she, she believes will lead them to avoid getting a flu shot uh, because her, her, she heard on social media that the flu shot was dangerous. And so, and then the younger children all join in <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and the parents, you know, you know, the, the impulse is to say, no, 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 you're all wrong. But of course the parents, Get a chance, you know, in, in, in the book, in the script, you can, you can, you can make it, uh, you can make it however you want. But um, the parents get a chance to sort of take a deep breath, realize what's happening, and then empower the kids to do their own checking of the facts. And, um, and, and then there's power in that, too, when you have three kids. Um, so it, 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 it doesn't become an us versus them kind of thing. And sometimes there are real, real advantages of having older kids with younger children. But yeah, you do have to tailor the information that you're sharing um, to the age and um, sort of other considerations of your child. So the age and the stage they're at and how anxious they are and generally what their temperament is. Um, and, and also, you know, that's going to be driven by what your child is asking you. What about, uh, are there times when you should, you, you're aware that, or you have a sense that your child is anxious about whatever the topic is, but they're not saying anything. So how do you determine when it's time to talk with them and how do you bring it up? There's some scary issue that you're pretty sure that they're not dealing with or that they're afraid of or something they saw on social media or television or whatever, or heard from their siblings. Uh, so how do you begin the talk when the child doesn't come to you? Right. And, and we want to be careful here because we don't want to be perceived as intrusive. You know, your parent looks at you in the eye. You know, I, I know my kids say, don't give me the look. Um, <laughs> or or is, is really sort of, tell me what's going on. How are you feeling? Um, on the other hand, you, we do have kids who are more or less likely to talk. So one opportunity is we're great readers of our kids' feelings, and when we see our child looking sad or upset uh, or angry, that gives us an opening, and, and, and that gives us an opportunity to say, look, I see you're looking down, your eyes are downcast, uh, you know, how are you feeling? Like, I know, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be feeling sad, um, I, I wonder. Um, the other opportunities we have are to take uh, times when we're doing something else, like we're in the car. The car is one of my favorite places to have conversations because we don't need to look at each other. 
So especially those awkward conversations, um, it's, it's, you know, the kid's in the back, you're in the front, and you, you're, you're both looking straight ahead. And you can do that on a walk with a dog because you're both also, you know, you're, you're both looking straight ahead. And sometimes that's a lot easier for kids. But in general, the least intrusive we can be, the less intrusive we can be, the better. The more we can follow our child, um, the better. And sometimes, you know, I suggest when parents have teens, they, they really don't want to talk to us. Um, if you have, a, you know, if you have the chance for family dinner, you can model the conversation with your spouse. And I have a couple of those in the book. So you can say to your spouse, you know, like, uh, I was so mad today when I heard X, Y, Z. Um, and, uh, or I was so, you know, or I was worried about this. And, and, and your spouse responds and does the same kind of, you know, um, wow, no wonder you were feeling angry. I, I feel angry too. And, and that, you're not forcing your child to enter the conversation, but kids are much more likely to enter the conversation when they're not directly being targeted. Yeah, I like that modeling example, but then here I want to throw in kind of a zinger. What if the parents are not on the same page because they obviously have different skills, different parenting skills, are anxious about different things? Uh, So what happens maybe when you have one parent who's really good at it in terms of like tuning in with the kids' anxieties or emotions and the other one isn't and finds it very difficult to do that? Yes, 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 yes. So actually that, thank you for asking that question because that's one of the first things I ask parents to think about in the book. Um, I ask parents to do an exercise about their values in parenting. And what I ask them to do is imagine, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ahead, uh, you're in good health, uh, your, your kids are celebrating a, a, a nice birthday milestone. What do they say? What are the positive things they say about what you've taught them? And you can do this separately, and I suggest that parents compare answers. So that talks to, speaks to what are, what's important to parents. But I also ask parents to think about their own individual vulnerabilities, anxieties, experiences. Um, and, of course, everybody's different. And as you point out, some parents are more emotionally tuned and others are less. Some parents feel more comfortable with certain topics than some less. You know, I give the example of... Um, a parent who um, is so upset by a situation because it reminds her of something that happened to her when she was a child that she turns the conversation over to her spouse and says, listen, you need to lead the way because I'm going to get too upset here. So that I, I, I think when parents can have a chance to get on the same page and figure out where they are and aren't on the same page, then you have a, a higher chance of having a successful essential conversation. And even if you don't, you know, each of us parents has a, has certain gifts and capitalize on those gifts. Yeah. And make, one has to be, I guess, aware of, of what their shortcomings are, but also take a look, what are my gifts? What are my skills? What am I really good at? <laughs> and, and, and use those, those skills as, as a parent. Exactly. Um, what are kind of, I guess in the context, I just want to go back to COVID-19, like, have you experienced or have you dealt with parents or children? What's the worst case? I know you have, but what are the kind of the worst case scenarios that you've had, that, you, that you've con- confronted during this pandemic? Well, I think that, uh, you know, you, you when you think about worse, um, let, let's talk about feelings, you know, I think that there are particular groups of people in this pandemic that are who are really um, stressed and so I think obviously of 
frontline healthcare workers first. Um, I was working, doing some research with some colleagues who are doctors. And in the course of a just casual conversation, one of the doctors turned to another and said, have you been able to access a lawyer recently? Because we realized, my wife and I, that we need to update our wills, given the very real risk healthcare providers and we can't find a lawyer who is able to help us over you know on you know uh, online rather than in person and it suddenly hit home to me you know these parents with their three young children have to be thinking about writing making sure that their wills are up to date so there's very real stress but i think what you're getting at is not just that but also but, but our feelings because the point i make in the book is the, 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 you know, whether the world, when, how much the world feels like a scary place is really about our own fear. And the worst, sort of the most, you know, one of the more difficult examples is when you have parents who are extremely anxious and maybe either not aware or just find it so hard to get a handle on their own anxiety. They have kids who are anxious by virtue of both genetic and environmental gifts, you know. <laughs> We inherit our parents' genes, and also we live with them. And, uh, uh, you know, an example is there are probably going to be a lot of kids who are worried about going back to school in the fall. And, um, the you know, parents, probably the degree to which parents are worried about that is really going to affect how worried kids are. And so I've seen this previously where parents allow their kids to avoid what's worrying them. You don't need to go to school tomorrow. All right, let's just wait a couple of days for things to settle in. But each time the child avoids what they're worried about, going to school in this case, the avoidance is more and more rewarding. Thank goodness I didn't have to go to school, which means that tomorrow it's going to be even harder to get me on the school bus. And that's the tricky thing about fear is that avoiding it is very, very powerfully rewarding. And so we have to face the fear and it's tough and really hard for parents because they see their kids in pain, in distress. And yet, if we want to teach our kids to go out in the world and be confident and engaged, we have to teach them to deal with their fears. Yeah. And I think it's really difficult in the context of this pandemic and of COVID-19 because we, as adults, really don't know what's out there and it's so unpredictable. And so you're trying to create as, as secure and uh, an environment for your kids and, and, and deal with their anxieties, but their anxieties are, are based on reality and the reality changes every day. So it's a, a, it is a complex emotional cauldron of emotions uh, for both the parents and the kids yeah right and and unpredictability and uncontrollability um, really feed into anxiety and and I spent a lot of uh, years studying trauma and the impact of trauma and what's so scary about trauma is that it renders you completely helpless and powerless and that is a very scary thing and so um you know, that's why I encourage parents to finish these conversations, not only by validating kids' feelings, but also by helping to empower kids to do whatever they can um, in the given situation. Because the degree to which we can do things and we can teach our children that there's always something you can do, um, you know, we might not have control over this whole situation. COVID-19 is highly unpredictable. Um, but we know a little bit about the risks 
masks. We know, for example, that when you wear a mask, your risk of being infected decreases. We know that washing your hands is absolutely crucial to preventing spread of COVID-19. We know that social distancing works. Um, so, so those kinds of things, and, and then helping kids, for example, you know, you, you, you live with your grandkids, so that's fantastic. There are a lot of kids who don't live with their grandkids and with their grandparents and really miss them. So what can we do? Um, we, can, we miss grandma, but what can we do to feel more connected to her, even if we can't hug her? We only have a couple minutes left, so I mean, it's a fantastic book, and and uh, I recommend it really for parents, grandparents, and the older kids. Um, two minutes left, so give us some websites we can go to. Obviously, where we can get the book, we, where we can get more information about you and your work and what you're doing. Absolutely, Catherine. And my website is abigailgewertz.com, and that is spelled A B I G. A-I-L-G-E-W-I-R-T-Z, abigailgewertz.com. And on the website, there's information about me in the book, but uh, there's also a uh, couple of large excerpts from the book. One is a conversation between parents and kids about coronavirus and how, how to prepare for that and how to talk to your kids about coronavirus. And the other one is uh, a conversation about uh, uh, racial, uh, racial, so social and racial justice, um, and it's between a young black uh, boy and his parents, um, and it's unfortunately fairly relevant to uh, the killing of George Floyd, George, George Floyd. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Great information, and um, obviously good luck with the book, and stay safe, and Stay healthy. You too, Catherine. It was a treat. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 